you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 is going to be our main text this morning. Last Sunday morning, I started a sermon series over missions. And we're going to use the Gospel of Matthew as our guide to study missions over the next this week, and then we'll conclude it next week, and we started last week. And last week we looked at how Jesus sent his disciples locally. He sent his disciples not amongst the Samaritans or the Gentiles at first, but locally. And we looked at how God uses the local church, God uses local people to reach local people. And we're going to continue on the theme of missions this morning using Matthew chapter 25. When I was in college, which was many years ago, Uh, I like to play intramural sports. I've always been a big sports fan, but I love to play sports even more. I love to play intramural soccer. I wasn't very good at soccer, but I would play anyways. Uh, One weekend, it was on a Saturday, ACU was hosting an indoor soccer tournament. So it was held at a basketball gym, and it was different rules. It was like five-on-five five or six-on-six, six, something like that. You had a goal on each side, but there was no goalie. So you had to be a skilled player to play in this indoor tournament. So for the social club that I was in, I, I was not invited to be a part of the team. But I woke up one Saturday morning, and I had several missed calls and a voicemail from my friend Brian, who was, I guess, the leader of the team. And he said, man, we really need you to come play We had some guys not show up, and if we don't have an extra guy, we can't play. We have to forfeit. So I answered his call. I said, sure, I'll come play. And I had this bicycle that I had taken from my mom from when she was a teenager, and it had this basket on the front. It wasn't necessarily the manliest-looking bicycle, but I rode that to school because it saved me gas. And as soon as I showed up on campus, showed up at the gym, the game was starting, and I ran out there, and I noticed that we were playing the international team which just means that they're really good at soccer because that was the main sport they played from whatever country they were from. And so I was like, man, we're, we're going to get destroyed, but I played the best I could, we played the best we could, and towards the end of the game, we were winning 5-4. to four. And there's no goalie, keep that in mind, and I'm playing defense. And these two guys are making a fast break towards the goal, and I get in between them, one guy passes it to the other, and I stuck my foot out, and as I stuck my foot out, the ball deflected off my foot and I made this amazing shot in the goal, but it was just for the wrong team, but it still looked really cool. So I scored for the wrong team, and I was a little bit embarrassed. We, they tied the game up 5-5. Five to five. My teammates were really encouraging. They were like, hey, you know, you were trying. It's okay. There's still a minute left. So there was a minute left in the game, tied 5-5. Five, five. We have the ball. We're passing it around. I ran up to about the half-court spot. Uh, my friend Brian, who had called me to come, uh, for some reason, passed it to me. So I immediately panicked because there was three guys running at me. So I turned to pass it to the guy behind me. And as I was releasing the ball, I looked, and he was actually beside me, not behind me. And then I watched the ball go from the half-court line all the way into the goal. And I scored my second goal for the international team. <laughs> and the international students are always really nice, but they, their, their crowd, their fan base in the stands were laughing at me and cheering for me. And now they're winning 6-5, to five. and you know, I couldn't make a half-court shot like that uh, if I tried a hundred times, but this time I just happened to make it. And they ended up winning 6-5. to five. Uh, After the game was over, my own teammates weren't very encouraging, and they didn't invite me to play in the rest of the tournament. So I threw my jersey down, hopped on my mom's bicycle with that basket on the front, and I rode home. And 
I wish that that day would have never happened. Now, I think about that day because as we study Matthew 25, and I'm, I'm going to have a lot to say about this parable of the sheep and the goats. Um, if you were to go back and you were to look at the statistics from that soccer tournament, it would, you could make a pretty strong case that I played for the international team. I could argue against that and say, no, I actually wasn't on their team. But you would look at the, the statistics and they would say, no, you scored two goals for them. You were on that team. It would be hard to convince you otherwise. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells this parable where there's a lot of people that are surprised. They're surprised because when they come before Jesus in this kind of judgment day type setting, they're surprised that Jesus is sending them to one side or the other. So we're going to look at this parable, and hopefully that will make some sense while I share that story in just a second. But Matthew 25, this is towards the end, right before Jesus is going to be put on trial and he's going to be crucified. Matthew's the only gospel writer to include this parable. This is the last parable of several parables that Jesus tells towards the end of Matthew. It's the last of five major teaching sections in Matthew. And he begins in verse 31, and he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So right away, one of the things that I notice is that he says all the nations will be gathered before him. As I mentioned last week, we looked at how Jesus sent his disciples to the lost sheep of Israel. But his plan all along, all the way back to Abraham, the plan all along was to reach all people. So now Jesus kind of fast forwards and he has this image of the final day. And all nations, because that's his plan, all nations will be gathered before him. And there's this shepherd, you know, God is often pictured as a shepherd in the Old and New Testament. And a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. As I was studying this week, even today in the Middle East, that's a common scene. We may not see it that often walking around the streets or driving around here in town. But often, sheep and goats will will graze together. And then at night, because the sheep can stay warm, but the goats have a difficult time, shepherds may separate them and put the goats in a different place. So Jesus is drawing on an image that they would have been familiar with. And he says, on that day, all the nations, kind of like all the sheep and goats will be before him, and he's going to separate them. The sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And then he says in verse 34, the king will say to those on his right, come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and give you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, Truly I tell you, Just as you did it to one of these least of these who are members of my family, you did it for me. So here is how he recognizes his sheep. 
He said, when you did something for one of the least of these family members of mine, or some translators say the least significant of these brothers and sisters of mine, he said, you actually did it for me. And we see there's an element of surprise from those who are considered the sheep. They're thinking, wait a minute, Jesus, when did we see you in this condition and need and help you? And he identifies with the least of these because he said whenever you did it for them, you were actually doing that for me. So we see, first of all, that their motive was pure. They weren't doing it because they felt like they were piling up eternal merit. They were doing these things out of the nature of who they are. They see somebody in need and they help them. And Jesus said, you didn't realize it, but you were helping me. Mother Teresa is often quoted in saying that's Jesus in his most distressing disguise. She would work among those who were dying and homeless and hurting. She would say, no, that's Jesus that we're helping and that we're working with. This isn't the only time in Matthew's gospel that Jesus identifies uh, with a particular group of people. Last week we looked at Matthew chapter 10, but we didn't read all of Matthew 10. At the very end of Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus is Giving this speech to his disciples, he says this in verse 40, Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. You're not just welcoming me, but you're welcoming the one who sent me, welcoming the Father. So Jesus identifies with his 12 apostles. If anybody welcomes you, they may not realize it, they may not realize it but they're welcoming the Father. And then in verse 42, he mentions giving a cup of cold water to even the least of these little disciples, that you're going to receive a reward. So you see elements of this parable of the sheep and the goats throughout Matthew's gospel, how Jesus identifies with others, you know, giving a cup of cold water to someone who is thirsty. Later on in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 18, in verse 5, when he grabs a little child, he said, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Uh, This summer, I did a little teaching on the gospel of Mark. So I'm not going to reiterate everything, but I mentioned during that lesson that in this first century culture that Jesus teaches in, children were not esteemed like they are today in our culture. Children had no legal rights. They were viewed as an annoyance. So Jesus literally grabs what would have been considered the least of these, and he says, if you welcome them, you welcome me. So in Matthew 25, when Jesus says, When you feed the hungry, give clothing to the naked. Or someone who is thirsty, you give them something to drink. Someone is sick, you look after them. Or in prison and you visit them, you're actually doing that for me. He's identifying with that group of people. And that's the sheep. That's how he recognizes who his sheep is. But he continues in verse 41. It says, Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they, kind of like the sheep, they're surprised. They will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick and in prison, and did not take care of you. Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. 
And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So he sets up this scene. And those on his left, the goats, again, he's identifying with the least of these. As one commentator put it, their response is basically, well, if we would have known it was you, we would have helped you. We just thought it was some common person not worthy of help. Their motive was their reward. They wanted to receive a reward, and had they known they would have been rewarded for their behavior, they would have actually done something. Again, we see traces of this throughout Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 7, there's an element of surprise there. He says, not many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell you, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So he's setting up throughout Matthew, there's going to be kind of this surprise, this reversal that takes place. And then he tells us in in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33, whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. So we see throughout Matthew, there's traces of this parable leading up to Matthew chapter 25. Um, Imagine being in the first century being the original audience that would have received this letter from Matthew, this gospel. They were being thrown in prison, kicked out of the synagogue, probably going hungry and thirsty. So if you read this for the first time, you probably find some comfort. That Jesus identifies with those who are willing to give those in need help. And there's a lot of things to think about and to dissect from this parable. But I can tell you, I grew up going to church. I grew up going to church camps and youth group events. And it wasn't until about 10 years ago that I finally, my eyes, my ears were attentive to this teaching. Now, maybe somebody had taught this before, and I just didn't have the ears to hear it. But I remember about 10 years ago, someone shared this with me, this parable with me, and it kind of floored me. Like, wait a minute. And it left me with more questions than it did answers. And even today, 10 years later, I'm still wrestling with this parable, and I feel like I still have more questions than answers. Wait, this is judgment day? This is how Jesus is going to recognize those who go to heaven and those who go to hell? What about all of our theology? What about this whole, we're saved by grace, not by works? But here he's saying it's based on what you do. So there's all these questions that come to mind, and you can read all these books and articles about what different people think about this parable, but the one thing I don't want to miss when we read this, because we read this, but we also keep it in line with the rest of Scripture, with the rest of what Matthew wrote, with the rest of the New Testament. So we don't throw out the rest of the teachings of Jesus, but we keep this in mind. is When we read the parable of the sheep and the goats, we see the heart of Jesus. We see the heart of the compassion that Jesus had For the least of these, for the down and out, for the broken, for the marginalized, he had this heart of compassion. And he said, I identify with them. And when you do something for them, you're actually doing that for me. And there's several things, I think, for us today, several takeaways that we could have as American Christians And one of those things is, if we want to take the teachings of Jesus serious as his disciples, as a church, 
We have to realize, first of all, there's a lot of responsibility for us. We are the wealthiest Christians, community of Christians, in the history of Christendom. Not just us at this church building, but I'm talking about Christians in America. Now, we have our struggles. We go through our hard times. That's definitely true. But most of us have multiple vehicles, several meals a day to eat, clean water to drink, uh, retirement plans, you know, savings. We have a lot of things. It's not always easy, but compared to the rest of the world and compared to centuries and, and cultures and generations that have come before us, you know, we're the wealthiest Christians there's ever been. So that means if we want to take this parable serious and all the other teachings of Jesus, there's a lot of responsibility that comes along with it. This church, there are several ministries and missions. I mentioned last week that ministries and missions You know, the two words just kind of uh, overlap each other. But there's several ministries or missions that we're involved in. And one of those, today's a special day because it's Caring and Sharing Dollar Day, is Caring and Sharing. Maybe you've visited and, and you've heard us say this or you've read it in the bulletin and you're still not sure what Caring and Sharing is. At the heart of the ministry of Caring and Sharing is compassion. The heart of Jesus, the same kind of compassion that Jesus had, feeding those who were hungry, offering clothes to those who need clothes, literally doing the things that Jesus mentions in this parable. If you wanted more information, you could find out more information on our website. But today is Caring and Sharing Dollar Day, and you'll get more information on that here in just a few moments after the sermon is over. And you'll have an opportunity to contribute financially. You have an opportunity to get involved with Caring and Sharing Uh, Next Sunday is our Mission Sunday, and that'll be a special contribution that Sunday. So we'll look at global missions. But there's several, like Honduras and Ghana and and places like that, several foreign cross-cultural missions that we're involved in that put these teachings of Jesus into practice. And there's also Highway 80. Uh, Now, Pine Tree did not start Highway 80 Rescue Mission, but we have several people that work hand-in-hand with the Highway 80 Rescue Mission, and they're doing something similar taking those who Jesus would have identified with and said, we want to be with you, we want to serve you. And when I think about this term, and I think about the ministries that we're involved in, I think about this term, least of these, sometimes I think, I don't know if I'd want to be called least of these. And I don't think that's Jesus' purpose here, is to stereotype someone as the least of these, because I think... Now, this is just kind of my experience and the experience I've seen from others. When you start trying to live out what Jesus teaches in Matthew 25, you don't refer to someone as your project, you refer to someone as your friend. Because that becomes a part of your life. It's woven in to the fabric of your life, and that's how it was for Jesus. Now, if we want to take these teachings serious, I think there's also a few things that we have to warn ourselves against. One of those is compassion fatigue. It's easy, and this comes from people with a lot of experience. It's easy if you spend years trying to help those in need. At some point, that might wear on you, and you suffer compassion fatigue, and you become numb or complacent, and you say, you know, there's just too much need. I'm not making a difference anyways. Uh, The first time I ever 
went to Africa. I'd been out of the country, I'd been to third world countries, and I'd seen some of the poverty, but this was my first time to go to Africa. And I was working with a group of missionaries, we were going around from house to house doing Bible studies and doing this campaign. So I was in people's homes in Tanzania, and I was seeing firsthand just how poor they were. No electricity, no running water, poor sanitation, uh, just house stacked, houses stacked on top of each other. So I remember one night I was talking with a group of missionaries who had lived there for a while, and I was just commenting on how overwhelming it is, this poverty. And I'll never forget what they said to me, because I asked them, what do you all do to help some of the physical needs? And they said, Nothing. And I said, why not? And they said, there's just too much. The need is just too great. So we just focus on the spiritual side. Now, I get where they're coming from. That's why they're there. They're there to make disciples. But then we pulled into their house, and this isn't trying to say that all missionaries are like this, but, you know, they had people at their gate, guarding their gate, open the gate for us. We go into their house. They have servants serving us. They have a house, a guest house, multiple vehicles. They're living better than I am in the States. And again, most missionaries aren't like that, but it made the conversation go a little further. And I was like, you know, it's hard to live in a place like this and to live large while so many people are suffering and say we can't do anything about it. Sometimes we need to redirect ourselves back to Matthew 25 and what Jesus says. We need to have compassion. And when it comes to missions, whether it's local missions or foreign missions, we should have that same heart of compassion that Jesus had. So we have to warn ourselves against compassion fatigue where we get to the place where we say, well, there's just nothing I can do about it. Now you look at the ministry of Jesus. He didn't spend every waking moment helping someone who's impoverished. He spent time developing his disciples. He was in the synagogue Uh, The last sermon series we looked at, Jesus spent a lot of time uh, by himself, with God, alone with God. So he doesn't spend every moment, but it's just a part of who he is, is he reaches out to those who are marginalized, who are hurting, and he identifies with them and he helps them. So we have to be careful that we don't suffer from compassion fatigue, and we also have to I guess, recognize the temptation to have a Messiah complex. Here's what I mean by that. We feel so superior to those that we're serving that we begin to think too highly of ourselves. As some writers have put it, you view poverty as just a lack of things, so we just try to play Santa Claus to the poor. Just give a bunch of stuff. And not realizing that there are some forms of helping that could actually be hurting. So that's why there's some strategy involved in trying to help people both physically and spiritually for the long haul. We don't want to get to a place where we're arrogant and we're saying, look at how good I am, look at the good that I do for others. Or we don't want to get to a place where we look at others and we say, they're not doing as much as I am. And that's always a temptation. If you begin to serve and help those in need, it's easy to look at others and say, well, I'm doing more than them. But that's not how Jesus recognizes his sheep. He just says that those who are with me on my right hand, 
They're surprised because they didn't even realize it because that's just who they are. Those who are hungry or thirsty, in prison, sick, in need of clothes, you help them. And in doing so, you're helping Jesus in his most distressed disguise. There's a story about a, a monastery. A monastery, that's where monks live to spend time connecting with God and contemplation. And uh, there's a, this old monastery where a lot of people would come visit, and their lives were, were greatly enriched by being there. But they were struggling, and people weren't coming to visit anymore, and they were just having a really tough time, and they were thinking about closing the doors of this monastery, but they invited someone from the outside to come and spend a few weeks with them to maybe help them out. And when those few weeks were over, the person who had been there visiting said, Jesus is among you. That's all he said. He didn't give me any advice on what to do. He just said, Jesus is among you, and then he left. And they paid this guy a lot of money to come and to help them, so they were going to listen to what he said. They said, Jesus is among us. Who, who is Jesus then? And they didn't know. He didn't tell them. So all of a sudden, everybody started treating everybody with a lot of love and respect, and everybody was serving everybody because they were afraid that if they were rude or selfish, that they might do that to Jesus, and they didn't know it was Jesus. So everybody started treating everybody like Jesus himself. And then all of a sudden, it began to become a vibrant ministry again. And people started coming back because they were hearing about this wonderful place. But it was all because the way they lived was as if Jesus was among them. In Matthew 25, Jesus basically says, I am among you. So we treat people not based on what we think they deserve, but we treat people based on the way Jesus tells us to treat people. As if we're treating or helping Jesus himself. That the heart of missions, or just wrapped up in missions, is the heart of Jesus, which is a heart of compassion. I think about my own life. You know, I'm a sinful man, and I think Paul mentions that... Uh, Paul Sicosio, not Paul the Apostle, Paul Sicosio mentioned that in his communion thoughts this morning as he read from the Apostle Paul, about how we're, we're sinful people. And all, all the time I'm thinking, man, how blessed am I to be forgiven the way that I am? So at the heart of the gospel is a Jesus who has compassion on people who don't deserve it. So this morning, as we begin to wrap up this lesson, you have an opportunity to receive that same compassion, that same forgiveness of sins that, that I've received, that others here have received, that Jesus offers to us. And you have the opportunity to give that same compassion to others that Jesus has given to you. Now this morning, I'm going to have to stand up. Tony's going to come back up here. We're going to continue worshiping. If you need to respond, there will be shepherds around the room. You can come up front. This is an opportunity for you to respond.